Hey everyone, my name is Caleb. And I'm Ben, and you are listening to Tribal Talk, a survivor podcast. So, Caleb, uh, you know the basketball star MJ, Mike Jordan, Michael? Have you been watching The Last Dance? You know, I I have not. It's on my list to watch, and I have a lot of time to watch now. And the reason I do have a lot of time to watch is that I, um, I've been tested for COVID. We're pretty sure that I currently have it. So this episode might be my last. Look, man, if you don't make it to next week, I'll just keep going and I'll just do it by myself and it'll be weird. Do it in my honor. You know, carry on, carry on without me and think of me every every time you record. The point is Michael Jordan, right, uh, had a, a really uh, good game. He threw the basketball in the hoop a bunch of times uh, and he had the flu during one of those times that he he did really well. So that's my inspiration for today. I am hoping to score 60 podcast points, maybe record the best episode ever. Hey, look, I'll say this. We did see a Michael Jordan-esque performance this week by a certain Survivor player. So if there is a week for one of us to have a great week, this is the week, man. (laughs) Did we, though? Did we, though? Yeah. I mean, was it? Oh, we did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to have some conversation. It's going to be fun. Let's dig right into it. I think uh, we've been kind of dancing around the subject of this podcast. If you watch this episode, you pretty much know there's really only one person to talk about because there's really only one person who did anything uh, this episode, and it was our boy, Anthony Vlachos. Anthony Vlachos. Uh, of Cops Are Us, formerly of Cops Are Us. <laughs> yeah, definitely formerly now. <laughs> he's been in Cops Are Us two times, and he's burned Sarah two times. <laughs> that ship has sailed. I think uh, at the point that Sarah was having her fashion show and Tony said his shorts were better than the skirt she made, Ooh, that was pretty much the end. That was kind of like, rip, Cops Are Us. <laughs> it's I over. I thought that entire segment was so funny because it opened up with Sarah going, a lot of people think I'm only smart and funny and pretty, but there's more to me. Than I'm me. also okay? creative. <laughs> Mostly creative. I can take a piece of denim and wrap it around Kim with two buttons and call it fashion. <laughs> I'm so creative. It's a piece of denim with two buttons. It's known as, it's known as a skirt. Have you heard of this before? This is, this is part of her social game that she's so proud of. Yeah, my social game is way better. Tony doesn't even have a social game. Yeah, he can right. only convince people to give him three fire tokens for no reason. He can only convince Jeremy that he wasn't the vote. He, that's all he can do. He can only convince Michelle to go convince Jeremy to get his fire token. He can only convince Jeremy to go convince Michelle for her vote in tribal council. That's all he can do. His, his social game is, is hot garbage. All right? And I yeah. am more than pretty and funny and smart, okay? Don't you dare put me in that box. Don't you oh dare. Oh, my gosh. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Lucina. She didn't do a whole lot of uh, of anything this episode other than... The fashion show, which she was very proud of, and ben still like, loved it. 
he was like <laughs> oh yeah yeah he's, he's kind of drooling right he's he's watching all these girls do all these poses in front of him and he's just he's just loving it okay ben Dreebergen's highlight of the episode was when they had that one little piece of his conversation cut out of context in his defense he's like you know <sighs> million dollars just doesn't go as far as it used to and michelle's like yeah that's true he's like a million dollars goes <laughs> fast you know ben, like- <laughs> things you probably shouldn't say on national tv <laughs> things you probably shouldn't say and the other survivors who are literally there for the millions dollars so uh, there was all there was another scene where um jeremy and ben had a had a very brief altercation um Here's the thing about Ben, uh, and I say something about him every week, and I really tr- am trying to turn that leaf over, um, but I can't help but just get so frustrated with 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 Ben and the way that he shuts anyone down that he's not currently working with. Yeah, and and he instantly makes an enemy of them, and I think it's because Ben doesn't want to have to think through those social interactions. He looks at players in Survivor as enemies or friends and and he doesn't like when they switch he doesn't want that to happen if you're an enemy then he talks bad about you he won't talk strategy won't talk game with you if you're a friend he he won't betray you basically so there's it's a very two-dimensional game ben and sarah both espouse the view that a good social game means that people like you and i actually don't think that's necessarily the case Lots of people like Ben Dreberg and lots of people like Sarah Lucina, but everyone, at least a bunch of people this week, were willing to go against Sarah. A lot of people this week were willing to go against Ben Dreebergen. Just because you like Ben Dreebergen doesn't mean anything because Jeremy said it best. Jeremy's like, you know, I used to like him, but he annoys me because he doesn't want to play the game with me. At the end of the day, Jeremy doesn't care if Ben Dreebergen is nice to him unless he's willing to play with him. And Ben Dreebergen, for whatever reason, is unwilling to basically just say, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Mm. I would love to work with you in the future. That's all he has to say. But he keeps going up to Jeremy, like after this last tribal council and going, no, 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 you're the biggest threat out here, man. I'm not the big threat. You're the yeah. big threat. Yeah. I'm not the big threat. You're the big threat. It's like, why don't you just say, oh yeah, man, that's really tough. I'd really like to help you get through these next couple of votes. Just, just say that. Lie. Right. You're on Survivor, man. Lie. <laughs> yeah, Tony didn't have a problem with it, right? So Tony kind of went the other way than than Ben, right? Because he's got that third dimension where he says, okay, here's my enemy. I'm going to get him in real close. And then I'm going to turn on him and stab him in the back. And the, the, the bonus on that is that you control the game um, a lot better that way tony completely controlled this episode there's no question there's no doubt right i know, I know we're gonna have a little bit of disagreement but i want to get this out of the way first is that you know tony absolutely took control of what happened he was the only one that knew for sure what was going on and he manipulated everyone perfectly uh, i mean there there were some things that definitely went his way this episode um, you know, he won the immunity challenge, not, not a luck thing. He worked hard for it. Um, and he also found the hidden immunity idol. Also not a luck thing. He woke up earlier than Nick. He woke up earlier than anyone else went out and found it. Um, so he made some things kind of happen for him that I feel like if they, those things hadn't happened, he, he would probably have been the boot ultimately, especially the way that he was playing. Um, I, I don't want to get too too deep into that. I think we're going to talk about that stuff a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. let's talk about that idol hunt 
Tony Tony wakes up early and he's he's just got this drive that it seems like some of the other survivors at this point don't have. Um, I think a lot of the players are pretty comfortable in their spots. And I don't know why it didn't occur to Jeremy that he should wake up early and look for and look for a hidden immunity idol. And I mean, they they've they know at this point, you know, when a, an idol is played, it's established. Yeah, it's like Survivor canon at this point. I mean, and it's been 40 seasons. We've had hidden immunity idols for half that time. If you don't know how it works by now, there's no reason you should be playing in an all all winter season. I have a great classic Caleb football analogy for you. My current Caleb, favorite Caleb, player, if you com- if you compare Tony to Tom Brady, oh, if you, you compare Tony no, no, to no, Tom no, Brady no, no, right no, now, no, 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 this is way more over the top than that. I'm oh gonna boy. compare him to my boy Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> oh okay, boy, way worse. let Let's me go. let me explain why. You'll see what I'm saying <laughs> in just a second. Okay, so. Patrick Mahomes in 2018 won the regular season MVP because he had a crazy good season through 50 touchdowns, largely mistake-free. He had a number of plays in that season that were particularly good, and one of those was a no-look pass that he threw in a game, and that's where basically he doesn't look at the receiver, and he throws it to him anyway and just nails him right between the numbers on his jersey, right? Right. The following season, in the opening game of the 2019 football season, Patrick Mahomes had an easy toss to his tight end, Travis Kelsey, in the end zone and decided to get fancy with it. He decided to become a caricature of himself, and he made it a no-look pass for seemingly no reason, and he overthrew it and threw right over his head. Mm-hmm. And he could have had a touchdown, and instead they had to settle for a field goal. He kind of became a caricature of himself and became something that he's really not supposed to be. And then he course corrected partway through the season and started playing a very, very smart, but slightly more conservative game and only pulled out the crazy tricks when he absolutely had to. I think this is a great parallel to Tony's career in Survivor. Basically, you had his Kagayan season. He played hard. He played aggressive. He played fast. He played a game like we've never seen before and somehow won that season. Then he went into Game Changers, and it was like he became a caricature of himself, and he runs off into the forest on day one, five yeah. minutes into the game, right? Yeah. He goes crazy. He just has to go idol hunting immediately because that's how he won his first season, right? Right. And then he gets voted out way before the merge. And then we come into Winners at War, and he's like, you know what? I have my head on straight. I've course corrected. I'm going to still be Tony Vlachos. His mind is going 100% of the time. He's thinking all night before everyone goes down to bed. He's like, Emron's going to be exhausted tonight. There's an idol that's been played. I'm going to get up early and go find it. But he doesn't let himself do those things until the opportune moment. So I mm-hmm. think he's really become the best version of himself that he can be. Yeah, and and okay, I will say you're not wrong about a lot of things, um, which is kind of a weird backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> you're only wrong about, you know, 49%. Yeah, you're not wrong about some of the stuff he said was not wrong. I'll, I'll encourage you with that. No, I I I think that um that this episode was s- several strokes of genius on Tony's part. I thought it was a uh, fantastic movement. He worked hard. I think it was too early. I think he jumped the gun. I don't think he needed to get Sophie out this episode and and the problem is I think he now looks way too powerful to win or even to go to the end. Uh, and now if he gets to the end, he's going to win. I think compared to anybody else, he has, he, not only does he have a good resume, but survivor in the past has been very kind to players who return and play a better game. 
he's learned a lot of lessons and he's he's turned those lessons out for his good. Here's a relevant question for you. Do you think this move, and this may be too early for this question, but do you think this episode in its totality, the four, three, two split, the idol finding, all of it, do you think that puts his resume above Denise's Queenslayer resume? Absolutely. Because because here's the thing, Denise hasn't had sustained success. I mean, I it's been so long because there are weeks between episodes. I don't I barely remember the Denise move. I mean I remember it, right? I know I could tell you what happened, but it's not fresh in my mind. And Denise really hasn't done a lot but just kind of survived since that move. And and furthermore, I could probably take down um, that move a couple notches on my board because looking back on it, Sandra was pretty much done. She had she had kind of mentally checked out, and I know we talked about that during that episode review. Is that you know Sandra was un- uncharacteristically flippant with with you know the resources that she had, and it looked like you know she was like either this works and Denise trusts me or I'm done. She just kind of put her fate in Denise's hands. Denise did the exact right thing with it. She deserves right. all that credit. But Tony is is a player that can do that at any given moment and and has several um good moves already this season. He he has a lot to talk about at tribal. I feel like with Denise it's like, remember that move I made earlier in the season? And yeah, it was twenty five days ago. Yeah, I just I feel like that as time has gone on that um that move hasn't aged well for Denise. I think that Tony probably has um has one of the best resumes. I think Sophie was right there next to him yeah. um until until this happened. I think Sarah because of that Sophie connection, because she and Sophie have steered the game up until this point. You know, I think that both of those players, if if Sophie can make it back, have every bit as good a shot as as Tony. But I don't think it's relevant, Caleb, because what's going to have to happen now is Tony is going to have to have those MVP moments every single episode until the end, because nobody's going to want to take him to the end. Nobody. Here's my one disagreement with you there. For the same reason that you and I don't really think about Denise's Queenslayer vote as fondly as we did several weeks ago. I think that the players in this game have a relatively short-term memory as well. And even though right now I think Tony winning two immunity challenges in a Mm -hmm. row, Tony executing a great split vote blindside, those things definitely put him on the top of the threat list. But can he wait it out? one more vote before he gets put onto the chopping block. And in in that time, is someone else going to temporarily edge him out? I think it's possible. Caleb, here's here's the other part we haven't talked about yet is something that Kim said, which is Tony's back to his old tricks. He's he's running around, he's uh he's talking to Jeremy and getting him, you know, he's being a double agent again. So it's already clear to the players now that he has flipped back to his old self and they can't trust him anymore. And that means that that any one of his alliance members, especially Sarah now, especially Sarah, Sarah is done with him. Sarah is probably going to be the one gunning for him at this point, um, which means that whole alliance is gone. Jeremy might make it a lot further now. So we ended up talking a little bit about Tony's idol hunt. Let's talk about that extortion um, disadvantage that was played on Tony by Parvati and Natalie um, mm-hmm. on the edge of extinction. What did you think about that play? And can we revisit 
that token conversation and the whole metric of the edge of extinction providing input into the game on the island. <laughs> yeah, the edge of extinction and its influence on the main game definitely went up several levels this week. I didn't think anything like this was going to be happening this season. I love the idea. It gives the players on the edge of extinction an actual way to impact the game, and they take it very seriously. They're like, who is a player that we can target that's basically going to raise hell or high water trying to either get these tokens or he's going to create chaos while doing it. Either way, we're happy, right? We get some revenge or we get a ton of fire tokens. And think about this. Parvati got four tokens from Michelle for the 50-50 coin. Natalie and Parvati, I believe, split those six tokens from Tony. So they are just rolling in the dough. I bet they've got jars of peanut butter on jars of peanut butter. I mean, I would, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with all that stuff. Surely they're going to get some advantages. That's yeah. de that's definitely going to happen. But good for them, right? They picked the right person because I don't think there's another person in this game who could have rounded up six fire tokens in a single week. As soon as Poverty said we need someone <laughs> yeah. who's going to raise heck, I, I looked over at my wife and I said, Tony. And then two seconds later, they pan the over and it's Tony <laughs> doing his ninja commando I was like, run through oh, the forest. Oh, no. Not Tony. <laughs> and it cuts through commercial. And I was like, no. <laughs> but okay, so... This entire extortion brought up something else for me. And one thing I wanted to tell you, I did not do the metrics on this. I read them online. But historically in Survivor, the record for a single player's confessionals in a single episode has been 17. So there's been five players in Survivor history that have had 17 confessionals in a single episode. All five of those have been season finale episodes, right? Tony had eight confessionals in this episode oh boy and let me tell you why this this was just something i was meditating on last night while watching this virtuoso of an episode and it's because tony is so good at narrating his own game he's sitting there in front of that confessional camera giving you the play-by-play -play of how he was feeling while reading that disadvantage and thinking that he was going to get to play that on someone else and thought that he was going to get to use extortion on someone else. Ooh, I'm a cop. I don't mm. get to do this normally, and mm. I'm going to get to, and oh, this is being played on me. <laughs> oh, no. You know, and he's so good at it. And he basically narrated this entire episode. And obviously, he was yeah. a focal point, and yeah. that's part of why that took place. But he is so good at it. I love listening to him telling those stories because he gives you the play-by-play -play seemingly exactly as it happens and survivor survivor loves those kinds of contestants i think that's one of the things they look for out of their contestants is is this someone who can tell a compelling story you know take what did you do this morning you know i imagine that's one of their interview questions and then you you have to make your breakfast sound compelling you know <laughs> grab some eggs and I, I i walked him over to the pen and then the pan wasn't there and i had to go look for the pan and <laughs> i found it tony's tony's great at that he had a ton of confessionals here's the thing if he can sustain the success um i would be surprised and i would be happy because we would have a very deserving winner um for this season 40 which which is the only thing that i really care about at this point is that whoever wins deserves it and it's not some cheap like bitter jury that that awards it to someone who shouldn't really get it right yeah 
And uh, on that point too, I don't think there are a lot of weak players left. And and that's why we're kind of running short. We talk about like bad moves and big mouth moments, and we've just been giving them to Benjury Bergen just about every week yeah. because both of us feel like he's one of the weaker players. And that's and that's no nothing really against him. He would be a stronger player in an average season, but in this season, it's it's a whole other level that Survivor has never seen before, and that experience that these players have lends itself to good moves and and really interesting strategic gameplay. And you knew that we were going to have some firsts for Survivor going into this with so much experience between all the players. People are going to get creative. And uh, we have definitely been rewarded. I'm so glad they did this season with these contestants. I thought it was going to end up a little bit gimmicky, and it's really ended up being, at least on an episode-by-episode basis, a really, really good season. Something I wanted to talk about here, I touched on this earlier, right? But in this extortion disadvantage mode, Tony had to basically show everything he had. Sarah's comment that he didn't have a social game, I think really was shown untrue in this moment. And this is my case for Tony's social game being top notch in this episode. The first thing is that he managed to successfully convince Jeremy, who was 100% the vote in that tribal council the night before, that he wasn't actually going to be the one voted off that night in that Tony, the guy who wanted Jeremy gone until very late this episode, was on his side. Being able to build that rapport out of whole cloth is something that we don't see very many players able to do. Number two, like I discussed earlier, he convinced three people in two different alliances that he needed their fire tokens in order to keep his vote, not even to win the immunity challenge, right? Just to keep his vote. And then on top of that, he got Michelle to go to Jeremy with his note on his behalf to go get one of his fire tokens. And Jeremy walks up and he's just like, all right, here's a token, man. I'm sorry, I can only give you one. My bad. The third thing is that he convinced Nick and Michelle and Jeremy to switch their votes at the last possible second, moments before tribal council, to not vote for the original vote, but to vote for Sophie instead. And then he convinced Jeremy to actually be the one that goes and talks to Michelle about it. He didn't even talk to everyone to go and make this happen. He convinces Jeremy and then convinces Jeremy to to go and advocate for that plan. You cannot do those things unless your social game up to that point has been fantastic. I agree with you. I don't know if he can play at this level for forever, but this episode, it was amazing. I don't think I've ever seen anything on this level. I would say probably Chris from... from um, It was Edge of Extinction 1. Yeah, so his his final few days on the island, I think you know, had some some incredible brilliance to it where he basically put himself on the line every single second that he possibly could and it and pulled through. I think this is akin to that. Um, I will add one other thing. I think Tony has also targeted the right person. I think he realized and recognized that Sophie and Sarah were running this thing, that he had better rapport with Sarah, um, and that Sophie was the real threat. I think that speaks volumes to his awareness in the game. He did kind of the Rob move, right? That Rob first did is like, okay, this person is closer to my friend than I am. So I'm going to get them out. And then all they have left is me. So he's hoping Sarah is going to go back to cops are us. I don't, I don't know that that is, uh, that is what's going to happen, but I think that if he was going to get one person out and use all his social capital on one episode, then it should be Sophie that goes. Here's, here's the thing touching on social capital. We've talked about this before. 
and and this is why I think it was too early, is yes, Tony had built up a lot of social capital by playing the nice guy, by um, coming at this game completely differently. I think he cashed it in on this episode. This is the problem, right? When a player says, look, I've got this immunity idol around my neck, I can do whatever I want. If you're doing that, you better keep that necklace on because you better believe people are going to remember what you did. And if at any point they feel like you aren't safe, they're going to go after you. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think Tony has emerged, especially with Sophie gone, as the key strategic threat in this game. And at this point, he's going to have to sustain a very high level of play. And even though with that statistic, I mean, that's compelling, man. The 18, the 18 um, confessionals. confessionals. Dude, that's that's crazy. It'd almost be crazy if he didn't make it at this point. But I cannot, I cannot hang my hat on that. I think he's going to have to have a lot of things continue to go his way. And it's sure. not easy to sustain that. I think one point on that is I don't think the number of confessionals is indicative that he's going to go much farther in this game. I think it's just that for this episode, as its own self-contained story, he was involved in every little piece of it. So he had to be the one that told that story. And I think right. it, it's just a, a way to kind of quantify his impact, at least in this short stretch of the game, being so far bigger than everyone else's combined, right? I don't know how many confessionals other players had. I'd be shocked if everyone else had more than a handful apiece, more than two or three each. He was just so much the the spokesperson of this episode. I don't think it necessarily indicates that he's going to be in the final three or anything. I do think that, though. Spoiler alert. I do think he's going to be in the final three, but I don't think that, that the confessionals indicate that. So for the challenge, um, you and I both kind of well, I guess I, I made the prediction on the challenge, right? You didn't make a prediction. Um, you made the prediction on the challenge that Jeremy was going to try his darndest, and if he wasn't the guy that won, that he would be the shield for the blind side this week. Did you make a prediction outside of that? No, those are the those are the predictions. Um, check check. <laughs> I well, I feel I feel like it was kind of I don't feel like super great about the challenge pick because i mean it was pretty obvious that jeremy has felt the pressure it's an endurance challenge he's going to give it everything he has that's that's typical i don't feel great about that call but uh the shield call i did feel i did feel pretty good about nailed it yeah because i mean it really is it really is in survivor it's kind of an established history is if you have a player that's the main target right for for and everyone knows that it's too tempting to to try to get someone out and use that as the shield it's just so tempting tony was the one that was tempted this episode and he gave in to his temptations and uh got out a really good player uh in sophie do you have any thoughts on the challenge itself though no there wasn't a lot honestly there's not a lot to talk about i mean it was pretty simple uh endurance challenge they all did pretty well i feel like i think the thing that was shocking is how quickly those last few players i think it was nick and then jeremy dropped out and then all of a sudden tony was the last man standing and everyone watching was shocked too they were just like oh my gosh tony tony just won again it's kind of anticlimactic this is crazy considering earlier that morning it was very 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 unlikely that he would be even participating in this challenge it's a good thing he he ponied up that cash who do you think he gave those two fire tokens to that's a great question 
Because some people are going to be asking, hey, man, where's that cheddar I lent you? I wanted to see that because because to me, that kind of reveals the people he's closest to. I, I, I kind of hoped that they would kind of uh, get to that a little bit. So he got one from Nick, one from Ben Driebergen, and one from Jeremy. You get those two tokens. Who do you give those to? Nick and Ben. Nick and Ben, absolutely. Jeremy. Jeremy's is public enemy number one, right? Um, I, I, I mean, even after the challenge, they got back from the challenge and he like looks at Jeremy and he's like, don't, don't even hug me or whatever. Like it almost just became this joke where Jeremy's on the outs. He doesn't mm. need to continue to establish this report. He's used Jeremy like, uh, like toilet paper and he could care less how Jeremy feels about him. But Ben is kind of his, his homie at this point. Dude, let's let's I just want to say one brief thing about Nick because we don't get to talk about him ever because he's never doing anything unless he's walking up out of the bushes being like, what is that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or looking like Donathan the vampire. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great comparison. So, no, but he was he was a few feet away from relevance this episode, right? He had the same idea to wake up early. He didn't wake up as early. But if he had found that immunity idol, we would have be having a very different podcast episode. Absolutely. And and we could be talking about Nick, you know, emerging from ambiguity. This game that he's playing, it's just ah, oh man, it's like vanilla. It's like it's like flavorless. He doesn't have an overarching strategy that would allow him to make strategic decisions in an ongoing way right he's very much flavor of the day nick because earlier in the season we see him get angry at everyone and just stir up chaos for no reason and then in this episode he basically just goes along with a vote to the point where someone walks up to him minutes before tribal and is like hey do you want to do you want to switch to vote and i don't know <laughs> i don't know vote for uh let's see who could we vote for vote for uh sophie do you want to do it and he's like Okay, man. He's like, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, Nick, why were you going to vote the way you were going to vote in the first place if you're willing to switch your vote to Sophie so easily? Like, what's going on? And they didn't find, like, if they did, I'm sure they tried to do a confessional with Nick where he explains why he, he went that direction. But my guess is it just wasn't entertaining. It's just like... You know, he probably didn't have a lot to say about it. He's like, someone approached me with a plan. It didn't seem like it hurt me. And so I went with it. And it's like, you know, you're in an all winter season. Here's my thing on the idol hunt. Okay. We've seen this multiple times in Survivor. The wrong approach is to divide and conquer. The correct approach, if you're the second one looking, is to get nice up close and personal with the guy who was out there first. I'm like, no, man, I'll help you look right here. Yeah. And then you and I can go look over by the well in a little yeah. bit. And then, you know, what you would have done inadvertently without even knowing it you would have possibly found the idol that tony found and if you hadn't you would have wasted tony's time by making him go and search by the well again right we've seen this before back in i think it was fans versus favorites two we had malcolm and andrea malcolm was looking for an idol because he had a clue to an idol and he was trying to save his own butt and he was looking for the idol furiously and andrea basically caught him sneaking out of camp it was like i am not going to let him look alone I'm going to chase him down, and I'm going to follow his every move. So that way, if he does get an idol, I know that he has one. And Malcolm got voted out that very next vote, right? Nick had this ability, and he just believed Tony. So I don't know if Tony's that believable or if Nick is just that naive or maybe a little bit of both. If you're Tony, can you imagine a better final tribal than Nick and Ben by your side? 
Can you imagine a better scenario? Having Michelle in there, maybe? Is that better? Maybe the final <laughs> four is Tony, Nick, Michelle, and Ben Drebergen. I, I mean, mean, Nick is, dude, I think I think Nick is Nick is the easier um the easier carry along than even Ben is. That guy's um, an attorney. That guy is representing criminal defendants in the court of law. Yeah. Good thing we're not criminals, right? <laughs> Good thing we're not criminals. <laughs> So jumping right in the tribal council, going into this tribal council, there were nine people, right? Right. Tony comes into this, and if you think about it, all eight of these players on some level trusted him. That is an amazing feat because think about it. On one side, you have Ben Drebergen, you have Sarah, you have Sophie, and you have Kim and Denise, all thinking that Tony is with them on their blind side of Jeremy. Then on the flip side, you have Michelle, Nick, and Jeremy actually working with them to vote out Sophie. So out of those nine players, eight of whom are not Tony, all eight of those non-Tony players thought, I'm working with Tony today. All eight thought that they were working with Tony. Crazy accomplishment. I I, I 100% agree. Uh, Tony, Tony the Terrific. Uh, or you had another idea, right? Tony the... Tony the Terrible. Tony the... I don't know. <laughs> tyrannical? Yeah. Tyrannical. Tony the Tyrannical. Yeah. yeah. He, he's a smart guy. You know, he makes you think he's not, but he's really, really a smart guy. He's delivered everything he's promised us this episode. Did you like this tribal council better than the last few where it's been a live tribal? This one was actually very, very, I don't know, classically good. Yes, I did actually like this a lot better. I even said so when we were watching. I... I, I I felt like we got to be privy to the conversations that influenced the game. Mm -hmm. And that is just so much more entertaining than sitting there like, I wonder what they're whispering about. You know, I mean, if, if, if we have no idea what's going to happen, no way to predict what's going to happen in a tribal council, what's the whole point of everything that happens during the episode up to that point? So like, cause really what the only thing that matters ultimately is who's going home and who's staying and the whole episode, you've got that in your mind. Like, I can't wait to figure out who it's going to be. And the, and the whole time you're watching the episode, you're like, I think it's going to be this person. And then I think it's going to be this person. And then when you don't get to be a participant, so to speak, in these conversations, you you don't even get to hear them. Then it's like everything that I've watched so far, like I I, I, I have no idea who it's going to be. And there's an, an element of fun to that. But to me, it's it's a lot less meaningful than actually being privy to those conversations yep. like we were in this episode. It was very refreshing. I think it's best because basically, like you said, they take the whole episode as a narrative to paint this choice. Will Tony be successful in blindsiding Sophie? Right? We know the plan. We know his intentions. The question is, is it going to work? So you go in there and then the questions that Jeff asks mean so much because you're trying to find out. Oh, are Nick and Michelle and Jeremy actually on board? Does Jeremy actually believe Tony? Because Tony really came to him and really sold it hard, but does he believe him? We don't know yet. So then the reveal is so much more powerful because it's not just whose name is going to be there. We know some names are going to be there. It's a question of whose names will be there the most, right? That's why it's so good. I like a live tribal every once in a while, but they can be overdone. That's for sure. I think it's the nature of the game nowadays that they happen more often. But I love that Tony basically stirred that pot right before. But these players are learning, you know what? I can change my mind and still go into tribal council with a very firm plan. 
those two things do not have to be diametrically opposed. Let's I, I, I don't want to go into best move because I feel like we've already talked about it, um, which is basically every move that Tony made so far uh, yeah. in the in this episode. One other thing I wanted to mention on Tribal Council was we've seen people try to do vote splits like this before. And the reason why splitting the vote in this way is so tricky is because you have to get the majority alliance to right. split their vote because they're afraid of idols, right? And then you have to get enough minority members to make a plurality, even though you don't have a majority of the players' votes, right? And I think right. the one that came to my mind was back in San Juan del Sur, we had my boy Keith Nail there. And I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> but Reed, one of the players in that season, wanted to get out John of John and Jacqueline. Yeah. And his thought was, okay, you guys need to convince them to split the votes between Keith Nail and his son, Wes Nail, and they're going to split the votes, and then we're going to actually have a secret minority vote that's going to take out John. And this was all set up to work uh-huh. until, basically, <laughs> Keith got spooked at I Tribal. Actually, we stick to the plan. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And the whole thing blows up, and I bring that up as an example to show that in a season of newbies, this is nearly impossible to pull off. In a season of seasoned winners, I have to assume it's even harder to pull off because people are way better at reading people. We've talked about many, many times how good these players are at understanding the rhythm and the pulse of the game. And the fact that not just Tony, but I give those other players some credit too. Jeremy and Michelle and Nick went for this and kept it under wraps. And Sophie had no idea, so much so that she didn't play her idol amazing it is not something we see very often it is not a common occurrence it is noteworthy especially a player as smart as sophie so i want to get kind of leading into um our worst moves um and and once again we're we're to a point in the show where the worst players i think are still uh, pretty good, right? <laughs> are still pretty good. <laughs> yes, yes. So, i'm thinking that my pick for the worst move had to have been Sophie not playing her idol. I, I don't know how she would have counteracted Tony. I think Tony had the benefit of none of his his secret alliance members, so to speak, having big mouths. I think Sophie just being in the dark on that um, really surprised me. And the fact that she left with her idol in her pocket. And I do want I do want to real quick also give my big mouth award to one of my favorite players. And it hurts me to say this. But Sophie said idol in my pocket. Yeah. Which tells all the other players that there's gonna be another idol hidden. And 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 here's the problem with that is if she gets back into this game, that idol is gonna be someone else's. And if she hadn't said anything about that, they might not have looked for it or found it. So that could come actually back to bite her. What What do you think? Do you think I'm going too far there? No, I don't think you're going too far. I do think it was the worst move in that Sophie couldn't keep her pulse on the game well enough to see this coming. I agree that she shouldn't have said, I had an idol in my pocket. My reasoning for that is a little bit different from you. Number one, I believe that when a player is voted out with an idol in their pocket, it does not re-enter the game. It only re-enters the game when it's played. Oh, That's my understanding of that. So I believe that idol actually, I think because of the Edge of Extinction, I don't know this for sure, I would not be surprised if she gets to keep that idol on the Edge of Extinction. So I think other players on the Edge that heard her say that when she got voted out may be less likely to do anything to help her get back in the game. The second reason why I think 
announcing that to everyone was a poor move was because in the event that she is fortunate enough to make her way back into this game, she announced to everyone, jury and all, I wasn't just blindsided. I was blindsided and I didn't have to be. I could have seen this coming and I could have single-handedly stopped it and I didn't. I goofed up big time. She could have kept them all in the dark about that. I don't know if Sophie's going to make it back in, but in the event that she does, that has to hurt her a little bit if she makes it to the end because someone else can be like, hey, look, I blindsided you and I blindsided you really, really well. It, it hurt to see Sophie go. Um, I, I don't think she has much of a chance at um, winning back onto the the in terms of pure odds are just they're, they're poor they're, they're terrible they're terrible this is like this is going to be an immunity i uh, immunity challenge essentially um for you know how many players now are on the edge of extinction 14 that's awful odds the survivor hasn't had a challenge an individual challenge with that many players i don't think yeah when she comes back in or when the opportunity comes i think it'll be at the final six right so basically um, I think you're right. It will be it will be 13 because Sandra's not there. She'll have to be the one out of 13 that actually makes it back in. Her odds are just not good. One thing I do have to say to Sophie, though, and I think everyone would agree, she said with her final words, basically, she came into this game thinking that she was one of the lower tier winners, basically one of the under the radar, unimportant, not looked up to winners, and she was just glad that she could hold her own. First off, you she is not a, a low tier winner. No, she is a great, great player. Not. That was shown. I think she was overshadowed a little bit in, in her season by big personalities, <clears throat> Brandon Hans, <laughs> Coach Wade. All right, there were a lot of big, big personalities that season, but she played a great game that season, and she played a great game this season, Even and better. people should be lucky that her second season wasn't a season with newbies because she could run away with it in a season oh, with newbies. She was bested by Tony at his best. Yeah. She was bested by one of the best players we've ever seen on one of his best days. That's what it took to get her out. She's an excellent player. She deserves tons of credit, even yeah. if she went out in this way. 100% agree. Fully, fully agree. I think that's a great place to leave our episode, Caleb. Um, I I do want to do predictions, though, as we're, as we're ending the episode. Uh, who do you think's going out? Just, just give us a name. I don't think it's going to be Tony next week, and... I think I'm going to roll over my pick from last week, which was wrong. I think it's going to be Kim. I, I think it's going to be a Kim versus Tony episode. And I think Tony's going to weasel his way out of this one. And if it's Tony or Kim, I think it's going to be Kim. What do you think? I think that Tony's going to have to use his immunity idol to be safe, or he's going to need to win the challenge. And um, I think that Jeremy has no use to Tony anymore. I think Tony might try to finish jeremy off um now that he's used him to get off his biggest threat um he does not want him going to the end i think that's going to be tony's target and if if tony wins immunity again or if he uses his idol jeremy's going to be going home i think that's a big possibility okay thank you so much for listening to tribal talk uh we appreciate the reviews the likes the interaction on facebook or twitter thank you so much for listening we out Thank you.